So we are in week four of our uh, sermon series in the book of Colossians called Above All. And uh, so far, this is, this is a letter. This, uh, we call it a book, but it's really a letter. And it, it's a letter in response to a report that the Apostle Paul heard about the church in Colossae uh, from this guy, Epaphras. And Epaphras was the guy who planted the church uh, in Colossae as well as Laodicea and, and another a couple other places. And so this, this letter is a response to what he's heard. And what he's heard uh, about um, this group is that they have great love for the saints. And they have, they have faith in Christ Jesus. And Paul attributed this to the, the hope that they had in heaven, that they had a hope, a heavenly hope, and this produced the love, this produced the faith. And so, and then so the third week, um, excuse me, the second week, we learned about that heavenly hope. And that, uh, that if, you're, if your hope is in this world, if your hope is in this life, if you're trying to uh, kind of squeeze all you can out of this 80, 90-year window, uh, you're going to be left wanting, you're going to be left disappointed, and be honest with you, you're going to be a miserable person. Because you're going to think that really this life is about you, and you're going to try to squeeze everything you can out of it, and so everyone's here just to serve you, and that's why you know we honk at people when they cut us off because hey, this is my road, this is my happiness, this is my life, and you know we go to the restaurant and the waitress or the hostess says hey, it's going to be 35 minutes, and we roll our eyes because like hey, you know this is everything's supposed to kind of doors are supposed to open for me, you know I've got I've got my life to live, I got to make something of it, and so at the end of the day, when you live that way, you can end up being kind of a miserable person um, if your hope is firmly in this life. But if it's in, the, if it's in the life to come, you're free to love other people. You're free to serve Jesus because you, don't, you realize that you have all of eternity to do all the things that are on your list. So if you've got things that you want to do, you've got things you want to experience, you don't have to squeeze it all into this, you know, this 80, 90 year window, but you've got all of eternity to do that. So now you're free to love others. Now you're free to, uh, to serve Jesus. And um, it's not that you don't never get to do it, but you do get to do it, but you're free to do these things. And so you're a, a free person, but if, hey, if you're trying to squeeze everything you can out of this life, it becomes a little bit of a prison because you feel this anxiousness to make something of yourself. And so Paul says, though you have a hope in heaven, man, it just opens a door for love and faith in Jesus. And then last week we talked about, or he, he talked about, we learned what the, the Apostle Paul said to, to the Colossians that, hey, this gospel is bearing fruit all over the world. It's for all cultures, all generations. And it's bearing fruit in you. Or I'm seeing the effect that's happening in you. And, and we talked about how it's having an effect here at Jubilee Church. But the coolest thing, I think the big learning uh, from last week is that we get to participate in seeing the gospel advance. Because the gospel uh, isn't a program, but it, it, it goes from person to person. It travels. Uh, God uh, is designed us to be the carriers of his gospel, which is an amazing privilege. So gospel, the, the evangelism isn't some add-on to what we do as a church or it's some, you know, it's, it's really flows out a love and a genuine care and concern for other people. So it's about friend making and then loving those friends well. And then Paul says here in verse nine, which is where we're going to hit today, um, he starts off and he says, and so from the day we heard, so that, again, this is a report, he heard a report, and he's responding to that report. He says, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. And what I love about the Apostle Paul, he's a great like teacher and great motivator, but more than that, he's a great example and model. And what is he modeling here? Well, he's modeling hearing and praying, <laughs> right? He's modeling hearing and praying. And... Um, God has organized us in relationships in such a way that we'll hear stuff about other people. We all hear stuff about other people. We hear about situations. We see situations. We hear things. 
And, and this isn't just to make our life more interesting. It's certainly not to encourage us to gossip, but we're to hear things and we're to pray about things. Paul heard things and he prayed about things. We should hear things and pray. Our, our life, our day should be filled with dozens and dozens of like 30-second prayers. We hear about a situation. We hear about something. And we say, God, intervene there. God, move in there. Uh, love that person. Uh, God, show me how I can help that person. God, I want your gospel to intervene in that way. I want, your, I want it to break out. Um, show, you know, open a door, God. Open a door in the situation. We hear things and we can pray things, hearing and praying. Uh, last week... Uh, sometime in the middle of the week, we, uh, some good friends of ours, they're our community group leaders, uh, we, we got a text. We heard that they were on their way to the hospital uh, because there's some complications. Uh, uh, Dana and Abby and Dolly, Abby was, is, was pregnant, and um, she had her baby. In fact, do we have a picture of that? Do we have a picture of that? Look at there. Baby's it, the, the small one. That's the baby. And so... Um, they had their baby, but they called and said, hey, there's complications, and they're going to the, the, the hospital. So we heard something, and we went right to prayer. Let's pray, God, man, help this to go well. Help, you know, intervene there. Help the doctors. Give them wisdom. About a month or so ago, a friend um, emailed me and a couple other friends and said, hey, tonight, tonight, uh, I'm going in front of our church and presenting this $1.5 million building project, and, and we have to raise a half mil in four months. Heard that, pray that. Praying for them, hearing and praying. Uh, my daughter, Ella, um, they were driving with my uh, wife. My wife was driving, let me be clear. My, my wife was driving, and she was riding along. And so uh, they see an accident, and she, is, she sees the accident, and she prays. God, the people who got injured, help them. The people who injured the other people, help them too. I mean, she's thinking about everything. Praying for the doctors, give them, praying for the emergency personnel. She's praying, give them wisdom, God intervening. She's not helpless in that situation. She has this mighty thing called prayer. And when you hear things, you're not helpless either. You have this mighty thing called prayer that the Bible says is able to pull down strongholds, is able to bust through barriers. We're, we're not helpless when we, we hear things, we can pray for things, and our life should be full of these little 30-second um, type prayers. Prayer can be powerful in intervening. It, it can help you from growing cold to situations um, and, or keeping you from really being depressed. Because when you hear about bad news, you can either push it aside and say, like, I can't even think about that right now. You know, I, you know, I can't even think about it. So your heart just be, grows cold to situations. You lose compassion. Or you're just like a depressed wreck because all these things are falling upon you. You're anxious about your life. You're anxious about uh, your brother's life. You're anxious about your friend's life. And then the news. And, ah, you know, you just, you're anxious about everything. But we have, we have prayers, a mighty, mighty weapon. Um, Jesus, I mean... He, in Matthew 9, we have this. Let me show this for you. In Matthew 9, it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion because they were hurting and helpless. When we see situations and, and we hear about situations, we should have compassion. May we never, ever, ever grow cold uh, to the, the pain and the hurt that's around us, whether it's in our lives, in our relationships, or just those that God has put us around. So he has compassion, and his answer is prayer. Let us pray. Let's pray. So we are to feel compassion, and, but we're not to allow it to grow depressed. And let me show you what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Philippians. He says, don't be anxious about anything. 
Did you know that as a believer, that you, re- you never have to worry? Do you know that? You never have to be anxious about anything. That it's possible to live a worry-free life because we have this mighty, mighty thing called prayer. We don't, we, when we hear things and it weighs us down, we don't have to let it just kind of crush us. We don't have to be cold and callous and push it aside and, you know, but we don't have to allow it to crush us because we can pray. And our, and our day should just be full of these they're hearing and praying, hearing and praying, hearing and praying. I think it would be a really great idea if we all just got in the habit of hearing and praying. In fact, get out your communication card because one of the things on there um, is get in the habit of hearing and praying. Just do this. Say, I just want to get in the habit. When I hear things, I can do something about it. I'm not helpless. Uh, I don't have to grow cold and callous to situations. I don't have to say, I can't even think about it. I don't, and, I don't, and I don't have to become anxious and depressed by it. I can pray about it. So most of our prayers, the bulk of our prayers, may be kind of these one and done deals. We hear about something and we pray it. Hear about it and pray for it. 30 seconds, maybe a couple of minutes. And then we move on in our day. But there's going to be some issues that we're going to really want to pray with. And that's where Paul goes because he says that I prayed without ceasing for you. And what he was saying to the Colossians is that you guys are a group of people that I feel especially attached to. You are a group of people that I go to regularly in prayer. And there should be things in that we have people, we have situations that we're regularly going to pray with. Who is that for you? Who, Who in your life or what in your life? Are you praying regularly for? My wife has just done a great job, I think, in building this into uh, the life of our kids. She, she's developed something called a weekly uh, board where they have weekly activities. And one of those activities is that they pray for someone. They pray for a, a church leader uh, throughout the week. So whether it's you know, before they go to bed or during the meal, they'll, they'll pray for that leader. And our kids got to choose the leaders. You know, we host in leaders from different places that come in and serve us here at Jubilee Church, and they've developed a relationship with these guys. That would include the other loca- the location pastors in Washington and the lake and you know, Seth and those guys, as well as other leaders. And uh, they picked them out, and, th- and they'll pray for them during the week. And this week is me. So excited that they didn't leave me out. <laughs> Still love dear old dad. And so they're praying for me this week, and they, they're praying without ceasing for these leaders. Man, I think it's so important that we are, there are people, there are situations that we're praying without ceasing for. Now, I want to pray for as many things as I possibly can, but, you know, I'm, I'm particularly praying for my family, for my wife and my kids. I'm praying for uh, um, unsafe friends and family. I'm praying for, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for this location. I'm praying for Washington. I'm praying for the lake location. I'm praying for the churches that we're involved with. I'm praying for some, a lot of the young guys that I'm helping to develop. I'm praying for the elders and the wives. I'm praying for, I'm praying for, there's certain things I just I give to prayer on a regular basis, praying without ceasing. This church has that. You know, when we gather for uh, our week of prayer like we will here in a couple of weeks, I mean, the prayer agenda is no secret. We're going to pray for basically the same things over and over again. There's things that we're going to pray without ceasing for. We're going to pray for this city. We're going to pray for the gospel to bust loose in this city, in in St. Louis, in Washington, at the lake. And we're going to pray that it expand in our state, that it expands in this nation, that it expands in the world. We're going to pray those prayers. We're going to pray for our friends. We're going to pray specifically for friends that don't know Jesus. We're going to pray for the churches that we're uh, partnering together with. There are things that this church owns, and I want to encourage you to own it as well. If you've not, again, the week of prayers here in a few weeks, I want to encourage you to make every effort to be there. It's, an, it's a really good thing 
to have something that you're praying without ceasing. So what is Paul praying for? That's where he goes next. He says that we've not ceased to pray for you, asking, he, he's, there's going to be a couple things. The first one is he's asking that they may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work. So we have to have a hard conversation because it's been my experience, or at least looking at the grand you know, landscape of American Christianity, is that uh, a, there's millions and millions of people uh, whose experience is like, okay, I went to VBS, and somebody said, do you want to go to hell? And said, rather not. And so they got baptized. And then there's been no transformation in the last 15, 20 years. And so what Paul's not praying that, hey, I want you to know more stuff. Now, because he uses words like knowledge and wisdom. He's saying, I want you to be filled with spiritual understanding and insight and knowledge and wisdom so that you would live a life worthy of the gospel. You live a life worthy of the name of Jesus and bear fruit. That, that the things that you would know in your head would sink down 18 inches into your heart. It would change your desires. It would change your will. And it would change how you live. This is, this is a fundamental thing. This has produced... Um, it produced uh, hearts that have left unaffected, lives that have long unaffected, and discipleship in America has been basically boiled down to um, an assimilation of information. But Jesus didn't say, hey, I've come to give you information and abundantly. So I've come to give you life. I've come to give you abundant life. In John uh, 20, he, uh, it says that you, I've, these things have been written so that you would believe. So there's things that we need to know. There's things that we need to believe. But we're to believe these things so that we would have life in his name. So belief is like the, there's knowledge. There's things that we need to know that are like the doorway to life. But if you, don't, you don't go. Uh, doorways aren't for like standing right. You know, you walk through doorways. God's like, I, show, I, want, I want you to believe. I want, you, I want to pull you into a new way of living. I want to pull you into a new life. Belief is the doorway. It's supposed to affect us. Jesus said in John 13, 17, he says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do these things. You you coming here today to learn things, you're not blessed by that. You knew that, right? You're not blessed to know things. Jesus says you're blessed if you do these things. In James 1, 23 to 24, uh, that church leader, he wrote a letter to his church. And he says, don't be just doers of the word. Excuse me. He said, don't just be hearers of the word. Be doers of the word. Don't just, if you just hear what, what the word says, if you just hear stuff, but you never do them, you're like a guy who, or a girl who goes to the mirror and then walks away, and then two seconds later forgets what they look like. Now, how absurd is that? What, what he's saying, it's pointless. The reason why you look in a mirror is so you know what you look like. So if you look in a mirror, and then you leave, and you don't know what you look like, what's the point? So if you look at the Bible to see what your life looks like. You see, we don't like examine Scripture. Scripture is meant to examine us. 
And so when you look at the Bible to see what your life looks like, and then you're like, you put it down, and then you, and you don't do it, it's like, it's pointless. It's pointless. That's why Jesus said to the, um, to the Pharisees, they said that you study the scriptures in vain. And the Pharisees, they had the Old Testament memorized. They had every page, every word memorized. And Jesus said to them, you don't know the scriptures. Your study of the scriptures is in vain. Why? You can read about this in John 5. Because they don't lead to me. They're not producing in you a passion for me, a desire for me, a walking near me, coming close to me. So you study them in vain. Paul's prayer for us, I want you to be filled with all knowledge and wisdom and understanding so that you live this completely new kind of life. This is why Paul and the other New Testament writers are always perturbed in a compassionate, concerned way with a lot of the churches is because they can, he can never like get beyond elementary things. They can never get beyond basic things. He's saying things like, you know, you should be eating meat by now, but you're like on the bottle. You're like a 40-year-old man drinking out of a bottle. And that word picture is a kind of disturbing word picture. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, if I saw a 40-year-old man walking down the street drinking out of a bottle and it wasn't Flavor Flav, I would be nervous. You know what I'm saying? Like, it would be, it would be, a, it would be a nerve-wracking thing. Just ask your kids who he is. It would be a nerve-wracking thing if that was the case. Or if you, like, saw an adult, a 40-year-old man, like, playing in the kiddie pool all by himself and, like, having a good time. I mean, I'm thinking he's intoxicated. I think we, I'm concerned. We need to call someone. We need to get the situation dealt with. And this is what Paul's saying. He's like, man, in these other New Testament, they're saying like, man, we want to get on with stuff. We want to like, but you're, you're not even, you're not moving on. It wasn't that they didn't know certain things. It just hadn't, it hadn't got beyond mental assent. Say, I'm praying, I'm praying that this goes deep in your heart. I'm praying that this affects the way you walk. I'm praying that this affects the way you live. And so I um, asked the elders last week, hey, just, what, are, what are some things that are like super basic in the Bible that you know, we see, see people struggle to actually implement? And um, we went through a list, and I'm just going to give you, and there's a ton, but there's a, there's a, a few they're just like, we all know this is true. We just, we just, it doesn't affect our heart and it doesn't affect our lives like it should. Number one was forgiveness. It never ceases to amazes me. It never ceases to amaze me that we just don't forgive. Like we hold on to stuff. Uh, when in reality, we should be the most forgiving people in the face of the earth because our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has showed us so much mercy, so much kindness. This should just be like an automatic, automatic thing, but it is not automatic. Um, sadly, in, it doesn't happen enough. In, in my experience, in seeing what people struggle with, um, forgiveness is, is, we all know we should forgive. Just hasn't dealt with. So Jesus tries to, he, I mean, I, I can't think of anything in the Bible that's more clear uh, then the idea that, we've, that we should forgive. And so Jesus tells stories like this all the time. So he tells a story in Matthew 18. He says, there was this king. This king had a, large, he had a large kingdom. And there's this guy who owed him 
who owed him a, a sizable debt, which is saying it lightly. He actually owed him 10,000 talents. Now, one talent is 20 years' wages. 20, excuse me, 10,000 talent is 200,000 200, years' worth of wages. That would take the average person 4,000 years to pay off. For, excuse me, 4,000 lifetimes to pay off. Point is, that's an unpayable debt. It's an unpayable debt. Guess what? You and I had an unpayable debt. Jesus paid it. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing that that we had this debt upon us that we owed more than 4,000 lifetimes? We could have never, I mean, we could have never, ever paid it back. And Jesus forgave it all. Now, if that will get beyond mental assent into our heart, into our lives, forgiveness is a no-brainer. I'm not belittling the fact that you've been hurt or that someone has offended you. But don't, may we never, may we never belittle what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. When you elevate your hurt and your pain to the point that you will not forgive, at that moment you have elevated it above and beyond what Jesus has done for you. That is not a thought from heaven. That is a thought from hell. That is a demonic thought. That is a twisted thought. It's like, we just forget. So Jesus says, so Peter says like, man, if we forgive people like that, we're going to get taken advantage of. So, so certainly Jesus, there's a limit to how much we should forgive people. Seven's the number of perfection. So he says, hey, you know, sh- we should probably limit how many times we forgive someone in a given day, probably seven times a day for the same offense. Doesn't that sound right to you, Jesus? He says, no, I say 70 times seven. 490. Which even in that, it wasn't like if you forgive someone 490 times in a day for the same offense, ding, you're out, you don't have to forgive anymore. What he's saying is there is no limit to your forgiveness. Because, because, and here's the important part, there was no limit to the forgiveness I had towards you. And that is meant that, so my prayer for us is that we would be filled with all spiritual knowledge and understanding and wisdom of what Christ has done for us to the point that we live lives worthy of what God has done for us. That makes forgiveness a no-brainer. Every single time. When Jesus was on the cross and he looked out and he saw the Pharisees who wrongly accused him and the Roman soldiers who beat and mocked him and he saw his friends who rejected him and he said, Father, forgive them all. That gave us one option. And that option is immediate and total forgiveness for every single thing. And when you don't, you create this personal hell for you and everyone else that's around you. But when you, when you forgive, man, you're lining your life up with what you know to be true. You're lining your life up with reality. When you fail to forgive, I'm not trying to be mean, but you are a hypocrite. I am a hypocrite when I fail to forgive. We are hypocrites when we fail to forgive. My prayer for us is that we would be filled with understanding and wisdom that we would live lives worthy of the great gospel that's been handed to us. Um, it's, it's just, it, it, we just, 
We need to do this. We need to forgive. We need to forgive. Number, the second thing, there's a few, th- I mean, there's tons of stuff that we could talk about. The second thing was, is serving. I mean, Jesus straight up says, if you want to be the greatest, be the least. If you want to be first, be last. If you want the best seat, take the worst seat. If you want to live, you should die. I am, you call me master, Lord, you know, you, you say that I'm the best. Now watch me serve. Learning to be a servant is central to the life of Jesus. It is said of him in Paul's letter to the Philippians in chapter 2 that he took on the form of a servant. We know this stuff. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do these things. May we be filled with all spiritual wisdom and understanding in this area that we live lives worthy of the gospel. That's why Paul writes to the Philippians, have this mind about you. Don't count your life as more important than others. Don't do that, but have your mind of Christ. Well, what was the mind of Christ? Well, he, was, he made himself, he humbled himself as a form of a servant. So if you're, avo- I'm gonna tell you, if you're avoiding this, if you're rationalizing this, if you're trying to escape serving, I mean, I'm telling you, you're just running in the opposite direction of Jesus. I just, I'm just praying for us that we would be filled with all spiritual wisdom and understanding that we would live lives worthy of Jesus and bear fruit in this area. Giving. Now, this one's funny for me because on one hand, as Christians, we are those who are trusting, <laughs> we're trusting Jesus for our eternities. But we get all skittish and fidgety when it comes to money. It doesn't seem, it doesn't really make sense to me. So we are those who believe that God created the world out of nothing. We, we believe that. We believe that there was nothing and then there was something because he created it. And he made everything that we have, and he sustains the world, and he continues to sustain the world. We all believe that. You know, you were in college. You were the one in biology class that said, excuse me, sir, you know, let's talk about creation. And so you be- we believe that. We believe that he created the world. And we know that, you know, that we, we all sinned, and we left, you know, we said, God, you're holding something out on us, and so we rebelled. We, he, everything good comes from him, but we still didn't believe him. And then, in the great plot twist in history, he dies for our sin. What? Why did he do that? To get 10% from us? Is that what he was doing? So God created the world, and like we run away from him, and he dies for us to get 10%. But that is exactly how most of us whether consciously or unconsciously, live when it comes to money. That God's somehow out to get something from us. He's out to take something from us. It just doesn't line up. It just doesn't make any sense. And the Bible says that God is love. Okay? And so what that means is that, God, that, that, that God's character and nature is the pool from which love comes from. So it's not just that what God does, his actions are loving. I describe what God does as loving. No, what God does defines what love is. He is love. That's how we even know what love is, because of him. It, comes, it all comes from him. We, he doesn't have the same internal dilemma that you and I have, which is, should I be loving or should I not be loving? 
It just flows from him. He's just, he is love. And he gives 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 and he gives. And he didn't stop. He didn't even stop at giving his own life for us. It's just in him to give. And he wants to bring all good things to us. And when we close, see, here's what's so damaging about knowing this, but not really, because if we close our heart off to him in any given area, and I, and I find that money seems to be the one that is a, is a big culprit, is that we end up shutting our hearts off to God. And so we don't trust. We're not vulnerable. We, we, we don't think he has our best. And I don't know what relationship you have where you, where you close a part of your life off to them and you grow closer. I, that just doesn't happen. It doesn't happen in any relationship that you have, that I have. The way that relationships grow tighter and tighter and tighter is, you're tighter is that you're more and more open to them. You're more and more vulnerable to them. And there's trust. And so when you close this area off, it just, it just doesn't, doesn't work out. That's why in this area I'm praying that we would be filled with knowledge. See, Jesus said you cannot serve God and money. I mean, of all the things he could have said, hey, what's going to trip you up? What's going to be the competing thing? Isn't it another religion? It's this. You're, you're going to choose to trust me or you're going to choose to trust money. And so he, he brings this right out. And so here's what I'm, I, I think that we know these things. We know that God is good. We know that God is love. We know that we know these things. We know that we know that we want we know that He's generous and we want to be like Him. We want to grow in His generosity. We need, we need to activate what we know. We need to activate what we know, i.e., write the check. We need to we need to we need to allow our heart, we need to give ourselves to this. And I just have never met I don't know, I've never met anyone. I've never met anyone who said, you know what, I used to be really generous. And I was miserable. But now that I don't give anything, I'm really happy. I've just, I've never, if you're that person, email me because I want to learn from you. Because I've just never, I've never met that person. I've, now I've met, I've met people who've got grumpy and miserable. But it just, we just don't lose. If you, if you transfer your trust from yourself or money or whatever it is, and you transfer it to Jesus, you will never, ever, ever lose. You will only win. It is a win, 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 win scenario. And the issue with money isn't that God somehow, you know, needs it. Because he just doesn't. He doesn't need it at all. But it, he knows that money has a way of pulling our heart from him, pulling trust from him, which that is the most damage to, to, to run away, to walk away, to, 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 to go in another direction of Jesus is very, very, very damaging. So, the, so my prayer for us is that we would grow in all spiritual wisdom and understanding and live lives worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ in a lot of areas. But man, we would make so much progress in forgiveness and serving and give. There's other things. But I want to get to the prayer, his second request, which is to be strengthened in all power according to his gl glorious might and that you would have endurance and patience. When, in this walk with Jesus, there's going to be curveballs. There's going to be times of pain. There's going to be times of difficulty. And you are going to need endurance and patience. And this call 
for endurance and patience is all over the scriptures, which is why I have a massive problem, which is generally known as the prosperity gospel. This idea that that, that we are to be healthy and wealthy and flutter about in holy happiness as long as we have enough faith. That you won't get sick if you have faith. That you'll always have money if you have faith. That you'll always be at peace if you have faith. <laughs> but if that's true, if, if, the call of, if our call is to live a life of ease... Why is it that over and over again, the Bible says you're going to need endurance? You're going to need patience. You're going to need to be long-suffering. You see, because like, I don't run marathons. You know why? I don't have endurance. I quit. You know why? It's not easy. It's hard. It's hard to breathe. My legs hurt. My body hurts. I get bored. And I'm self-conscious. People are looking at me while I look like I'm, I don't know. I don't even know what I look like. I don't want to know what I look like. But I don't have endurance. I don't have patience in those areas. You, you need endurance and patience if you're going to sustain. So why, oh, why does the Bible say over and over, if nobody gets sick, if everyone's healthy, then why do we need endurance and patience? And if you would just step back for a second, I mean, is this true for anyone? Is there anyone that you know that doesn't bleed, that doesn't suffer, that doesn't get sick, that doesn't have bad years? Not bad day, bad years. Might, maybe like a two-year-old, I guess. Maybe. But it's just, it, it's just absurd. We're going to, Jesus said, Jesus said, I took it on the chin. You're going to take it on the chin. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. The writer of Hebrews says, man, run this race with endurance. You're going to need it. Jesus lived his life in Relative obscurity. I don't know if he ever got sick, but I know that he was broke. I know that he died with one possession, his coat, that got raffled off amongst the Roman soldiers, but he was buried in a borrowed tomb. Crucified on a cross that probably was used thousands of times. Are we somehow meant to be above him? Is that it? Or Paul? God, take this thorn in me, whatever it is. We don't, who, three times Paul said he pleaded. God said no. Are we above Paul? Man, we're going to need endurance. We're going to need to be long-suffering. We're going to need to be patient. Because this life this curveball. So one of Paul's prayers, like, man, I want you to advance in the gospel. I want you to grow in your wisdom and power and let's church plant and give money away and serve and forgive and love. And I'm also praying for you without ceasing that you would have endurance, that you would have patience because, trust me, Paul says, I, he's in prison, by the way. 
there's going to be difficult days and you're going to need this. So I'm praying this for you. I'm praying for this to you. And I love how this ends, which is where we're going to end. He says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, who has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. We have so much to be thankful for. And Jesus gives me things every day. I don't always use them every day, but he always gives me wisdom. I don't always use wisdom, but he gives it to me. He always gives me patience. He's always given me love. He's always given me mercy. And I love him for it. But even if he didn't give me anything else, he's, I'm still delivered from the domain of darkness. I'm still transferred from the kingdom to the kingdom of his beloved son. And I have redemption. I have forgiveness of sins. It's amazing what God has poured out in our lives. And Paul is wanting to stoke the fire in us that we would not grow cold, that we would not grow ambivalent, that we would not grow flabby. I was having a conversation with some friends the other day just about being domesticated. I mean, uh, you know, you just feel that. I mean, you just feel like you, you kind of move on in life and you can just feel yourself just not doing anything crazy. I mean, I'm not going to do anything nutty. But just, you just feel yourself kind of getting, getting comfortable. And it's so easy to get flabby. You know, we're getting into the holiday season where physically it gets easy to get flabby because there's a lot of intake, right? Not a lot of output. A lot of taking it in, a lot of sitting. Praise the Lord. <laughs> it happens spiritually too. Happens spiritually. You just get flabby. How do you get flabby? Well, you just receive, you receive, you receive. And it just doesn't happen. It doesn't have an outtake. And sooner or later, you get sluggish and like you get headaches and you just you don't feel right. Your body wasn't meant to work that way and you get sluggish. And you even get lazier than you were before. I think it happens spiritually. So you just don't, your body, your spiritually don't work right. Because what God's, we weren't meant to like just receive, we're meant to receive and go out. That's why we're, we're to pray. God, we want to know, we want to we pursue, we want to grasp so that we live lives worthy of him. That was Paul's prayer for the Colossians. It's my prayer for us. I want to add endurance and patience because this life has a way of throwing curveballs and there's twists and turns and we're going to need it. We're going to need to pray for each other. We're going to need to encourage each other. But at the end of the day, we know that God has done a great thing. He does a great thing every day and the chief thing is that we're in him, that we have redemption, that we have forgiveness. And to that, Paul says, I give thanks and so do we. Why don't you get out your communication card? <laughs>